welcome to the Compassionate Business Collective podcast. I'm your host, Alex Okal, registered associate nutritionist, compassionate business coach, and founder of the PCOS Collective and Weight Inclusive Training. Join me for open and honest conversations about building a business with impact that aligns with your values and doesn't burn you out. Let's get started. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Alex. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so excited for today's conversation. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about you and the Broke Generation and what you do? Yeah, so I haven't I haven't uh, introduced myself on anything for a while. I'm, I'm a bit rusty, um, but my name's Emma. I run a business called The Broke Generation. I'm actually based in Melbourne, Australia at the moment, but as you can tell from my accent, I am a Brit born and bred, and still part, and hopefully will be again one day. Um, but I started my business that it sort of began as a blog and an Instagram page in 2018 when I was working through a lot of my own um, money stuff. I was trying to work out why you know people around me had started like telling me that they were buying houses and I was like oh my god everyone's got savings and they haven't and I always kind of there were certain explanations for why that was like I hadn't um had much of the kind of career acceleration that some of my friends had had and so I always kind of blamed it on that but there was way more at play than that I just didn't have any real level of financial literacy I didn't know how to save money I didn't have the wherewithal to sort of actually understand what I could and couldn't afford to buy I had loads of like emotional spending patterns happening and all the kind of other stuff from the rest of my life was really manifesting in the way I was managing my money and the way I was spending my relationship with money and all of that kind of stuff so I started trying to work through my money stuff and what what happened for me was that it wasn't a budget or um, some kind of you know external practical strategy that changed everything it was like the inner work that changed everything and really looking back at why I was the way I was with money why was I spending like this why did I keep trying all this stuff that worked on paper because like I'm good with numbers I'm not one of those people that wasn't good with numbers I was confused I was like I understand what I need to do but I can't do it um, a bit like you know why you know you know you need to go to the gym but you can't make yourself go or whatever it all sounds great when you plan it all out and you've got the time and you know you've got the time and you've got the budget and you know you've got the budget and if you follow it it will work but I just couldn't make myself do it so I started sharing my experience online and my kind of perspective of this kind of like changing your finances from within um and that's really kind of what I I went a bit broader at one stage but that's really what I've niched down into now I'm studying financial psychology as well to kind of tighten that up and and learn some more like evidence-based and research-based ways of helping people do this and um yeah now I just kind of share across my podcast social media and workshops and guides and things like that um how other people can feel more financially confident from the inside as well (laughs) I love it. And I think that's so important because like you said, a lot of us have the tools and the resources or we can easily find them online, but we've tried it, we've tested it and maybe it hasn't made the impact we were hoping. And yeah, like you said, it is that inner work that we we also don't want to do because it is really hard and it gets really emotional and intense. (laughs) 
It's really confronting. It comes, you know, it comes down to so many different things for so many different people from, you know, cultural experiences to socioeconomic experiences to, um, you know, links to trauma and other like emotional and psychological issues can link so much to our finances. So it is really difficult, particularly if you are in a bad spot. I got into a bit of debt at one stage um, Mm -hmm. and there's, you know, aside from all of that personal stuff, debt itself has so much shame associated with it. Um, which is a whole other kind of thing to overcome as well. Absolutely. And so much of this work would be, you know, really nicely supported by someone like a therapist or a financial coach who kind of understands, like you said, the the trauma kind of side of things and everything. But obviously, if you're in that situation, you don't have the funds and it's a whole kind of cycle. And so that's why resources like the Broke Generation are so helpful for people um, kind of figuring out their yeah financial story and trying to hopefully kind of improve their relationship with money. Um, So obviously this podcast is all about business, but in a non-hustle culture, non-bro marketing kind of way. And off off mic before this um, conversation was being recorded, we were kind of just chatting about how a lot of the podcasts out there are from people who have found incredible success and, you know, very happy for them (laughs) Um, but sometimes it's kind of hard to relate and hard to kind of um, understand the the steps in between I suppose of of getting there and even if you do even want to be there that's a whole other question Um, but I know that when you started the broke generation you had a full-time job how did that how was that balance found or was there no balance how how was that the start of of this um this journey yeah it's it's such an interesting thing to look back on so I've only recently in the last six months it's August eight months um, (laughs) gone full-time with this so this has been a side hustle since the very start and it wasn't my only side hustle at the time either so I was working full-time and I was doing the rope generation which at the time was obviously not monetized the first couple of years it didn't make a cent Um, and so I was doing that I was also doing cat sitting on the side and I was doing um, sort of I was doing freelancing as well freelance copywriting writing because that's what I did for my job and I was also had sort of like an online vintage store where I would flip things that I found in like charity shops and things like that so (laughs) there wasn't a lot of balance (laughs) I'm not gonna lie now when I say it back and I look back on how I used to live sometimes I'll like come across um I'll I'll go back in my google calendar I'll come across like a notebook where I've been planning out my week and I honestly look back and I used to like get up in the morning, go and do a drop-in cat feed, come back, get ready, go to my nine-to-five. Obviously, we were, like, full-time in the office back then. Mm-hmm. Commute, like, an hour or so on the train, on public transport. Um, do my full day, sort of, like, working on my lunch break, like, replying to emails in the toilet, like, come home. And then I would, like, have dinner while doing, like, two, three, four hours of side hustle work in the evening. And it's an interesting one because... At the time, I didn't feel like I was burnt out, but, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't until you are, and then it kind of all hits you at once. Um, So it wasn't, it's weird because it it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of balance and it wasn't healthy and I don't, you know, advocate for people doing that. But at the same time, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I did all-nighters because I never did. Um, I also had, the you know privilege in a way that my full-time job my, my day job wasn't that busy I wasn't that senior like there were long hours sometimes but 
in my mind, I was kind of like, well, I'm really lucky because my nine to five finishes at 5.30 and I can come home and work on my side hustle. Like if I was a lawyer, I'd still be working at my day job. So I kind of mm-hmm. didn't really see anything wrong with it. So I think I kind of sat somewhere. It definitely wasn't necessarily a healthy way to live, but I also do question whether I could have got to where I am without a little bit of hustle. So I feel like even though looking back, it wasn't necessarily, I definitely did burn out. Although the pandemic did strike in the middle of that. So I don't really know how much of it would have happened or how differently it might have come about had lockdown and the pandemic not happened. Maybe it was kind of a bit of, um, what's that saying? Half a dozen of one and something of the other or <laughs> one and the same, you know? No, I mean. um, but I think it's a difficult thing to, when you are starting something on the side, which, you know, most average people need to do if you don't have, you know, a bunch of money from somewhere or a really rich partner or rich parents or something, you're going to need to be doing two or three things at once at some stage. And it's a difficult conversation because ultimately one hustle is enough. And I totally understand that narrative. But if you want something more, there does need to be a period of time where it might be uncomfortable. So it's a hard one in hindsight Again, I have I, I'm on the other side of it, so I'm a bit kind of like I, I I guess I take my I tell people to take my advice and my insights with a grain of salt because mm-hmm. I've done it and I now have the choice. Whereas I've also been there where you don't necessarily have the visibility over whether well, you don't know what you you don't know whether what you're doing is going to work out. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of guesswork. So what I do suggest though, and what I wish I had done earlier, is to try and be a bit more conscious about taking breaks whether it's just Mm -hmm. maybe your rule is one day a week you don't have anything any work of any job or side hustle or any kind or that kind of thing I think if I had done that it might have been okay because like I said there needs to be a period of time where it is uncomfortable and you might be tired for a little while but if you're doing it intentionally and you're doing it to get something better in the end Mm -hmm. um you know, it's like training for a marathon or something. It doesn't feel great all the time. But if you want to get to that goal, sometimes mm-hmm. you need to go running when you don't want to. Um, so I don't know. It's a it's a weird one and there wasn't balance. <laughs> but I think there could have been with not that much of a shift, really, maybe just a slight change in perspective. If I had had someone that was on the other side going, you know, you're 80% there, just cut, cut back in this area because it will give you so much more mileage in this area. Um, I think that that might have been... Might, might have maybe prevented the burnout and allowed me to be in that uncomfortable state working towards something without mm-hmm. going too far. One way you can work with me is through a 90-minute intensive compassionate coaching calls. These are intensive one-to-one sessions to deep dive into your business and create a strategy to reach your big picture goals. I can help you at any stage of your business and with any challenges you may have. I love starting building and growing businesses to create consistent income months and provide more inclusive and compassionate service. So using my slow business framework, we will center your business on abundance, transparency, and inclusion. And together we can create a business that you're excited about, prioritizes your mental and physical health, and allows you to fully support your clients or customers, all while building a life you absolutely love. 
I can't wait to help you. Use the code STRATEGY for a discount this September and head to alexocal.com slash intensive for more information and to book in. That's alexocal.com slash intensive. really key about there kind of being an end point because I think we're just with as humans we just chase the next thing and it gets bigger and it gets bigger and it's it's kind of it can be never-ending this kind of constant cycle of just wanting more and more and that can look like more money or more success it quote-unquote whatever you think kind of success looks like or more followers maybe and it just it can be never ending. So I think that's really important to kind of have an end point. For me, it was um, my contract was finishing at my full time job. And I, you know, could have got another job, but I really wanted to go full time. So I knew that I had like, what, three months left. And I was like, I can just, because there's an end here, mm-hmm. I can get through it. And um, so I think, yeah, maybe having an end goal insight is important. And then like you said, slowing it down a little bit, taking some rest and knowing that you don't have to always be on and go 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 is so important but also you know we we don't have the privilege of just saying well I'm just I'm taking this month off <laughs> that'd yeah. be nice um so yeah it's, it's really finding that um yeah the fine line between taking it too far leading to burnout and also being able to kind of get what where you want to be so I think that's really important to mention do you have any kind of other advice for people who are a lot of people who are listening are you know, balancing a full-time or a part-time job with their own business. Do you have any other kind of advice for preventing burnout or finding a little bit more balance where we can with our um, business and our other job? Yeah, I liked what you said a lot about the end point. And that's something that did help me when it did become available to me. Even if you don't, um, even if you, you know, some people that I've spoken to, they kind of go, oh, I told my boss I was leaving and they gave me six months to transition out. And people might be thinking, well, <laughs> my boss is an asshole. I won't be able to do that kind of thing. <laughs> but I got to a point where with my job that was, I, I ended up going from full-time job to part-time job to going full-time. And I, at one point, had decided that in the new year, I would go full-time. And, and that was due to a number of things. But Um, because I knew eventually I did want to go full-time and I think that you know it kind of ties into the same thing of that end point but whether it's an end point or whether it's just an idea of what your long-term priorities Mm -hmm. are because I don't know obviously everybody's different sometimes they're balancing um, you know just a, a get the bills paid kind of job and their whole passion is the side hustle whereas I was kind of stuck in this dichotomy between where my priorities and where my passions were lying because my jobs were always um, in a similar field. They they were my career jobs. I I didn't ever do sort of like a go and get a job in a restaurant or a supermarket or something that, you know, I knew I wasn't going to want to pursue. I was always stuck between, oh, I had a really good week at work. Like maybe, maybe business isn't for me. Like maybe I want to do this. And I found that very difficult. And I do think it cost me about a year in Mm -hmm. progress. I think I stayed in my job maybe longer than I needed to, but also maybe longer than I had the capacity for. And I actually ended up 
going into full time further back than I would have if I had left a year before because a year before I had so much appetite for it and then I got to this point where I was like what do I even want like my job was kind of I had a bit of Stockholm syndrome situation there because I kind of loved it and hated it at the same time and I liked the I I was getting in my head about what I wanted and because my heart wasn't fully in the job I wasn't doing very well at it but that eroded my self-confidence more broadly and so then I was going, oh my God, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I don't, can't run a business. I can't sell my perspective, especially when we do these jobs now where what, you know, what we are selling is our voice and our perspective and our identity in a way. And social media is involved in that. And there is that hedonic treadmill of chasing followers, chasing likes, keeping up with everybody, being hyper aware of what everybody else is doing and achieving and this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on that social media thing, the mute button will be your best friend. If <laughs> that makes you feel icky or triggered, just mute because it just doesn't help. But having and thinking quite critically about what you do want and checking in with that regularly, because it might change and you might realize that you don't want to do this full time or you might realize that you definitely do. But making sure that you are making decisions in line with what you really want rather than kind of going, oh, maybe I'm going to because you can't have both. You can't have everything. You can't be a full time business owner and be an employee. It's just not possible. Um so being quite consistent with keeping up with how your priorities are changing and trying to make decisions focused on what you want long term, um, even if it feels counterintuitive in the moment, if it lines up with what you want long term, I think that is I think that is quite um, life changing because, like I said, I, I did not do that. I got all my priorities confused and I wound up you know starting my full-time business journey from not not where I wanted to start from at all it was like from a real place of lack from a real place of like trying to rebuild and trying to show up and trying to kind of like scramble out of this hole and that made it really difficult both like mentally but also financially because I was you know rushing to you know you've got to get your bills paid you've got to make money and then you're in this kind of like desperation state where you're kind of like oh my god everything that goes wrong feels like it's failure um and yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a convoluted um, way of saying it, but keep your eye on what you believe you really want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also think, yeah, keep an eye on what your what you want, what you do want. But also, that is it is okay if that changes because sometimes it will. You know, I think we have this big idea of um, wanting to run our own business, but it's also it's really hard, and sometimes it's not fun, and sometimes we may have said actually employment employed life isn't so bad and you know I think it's important to recognize that not everyone wants to necessarily go full-time and I um always have to check myself when I'm kind of chatting about business I'm like some people just want to do it as a side hustle or you know a side business and that's absolutely fine as well but when you made that full kind of move to working full-time for yourself you kind of already mentioned that you maybe didn't feel quite where you wanted to be when you um did that but were there any other challenges that you kind of didn't expect or that yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing off camera off air sorry (laughs) yes um oh so so many challenges it has been it's so different to what I expected and while I think having the business as a side hustle first is not only a great way to start, but it's, you know, for most of us, it's the only viable way to start, mm-hmm. right? Unless you're going to, you know, save up every dollar. But even then, you need to be kind of reinvesting in the business and this and that. Um, but it, the financial side of it, I found really interesting because 
when it's a side business, your you, the way you view the financial side is totally different. You know, even if um, you are, even if your job doesn't, you know, pay all your bills, even if it's not all extra income, there is some element of you, you view the you view all the income your side hustle makes through this lens of being supplementary in some way. Um, you know, it's either, in, you know, for some people, their day job pays all their bills and their side hustle is just extra income. And one day they go full time and they're like, oh God, I have to live off this now. I was sort of somewhere in the middle that um, my day job paid most of my bills and I topped it up and then and then the extra bit was like my savings. Um, and obviously, you know, paid for, to keep the business running and that kind of thing. But the I, what I what I am still now, eight months on, still getting my head around is the mindset around the way I view the money coming in. Like suddenly when you're running a business, you know, the the way you see numbers is completely different. You might bring in a £10,000 or $10,000 something month, job, whatever, however you earn. And when you're in an employee mindset or a salary mindset, $10,000 or pounds is loads (laughs) loads <laughs> because it's a big number it's five, you know it's five figures everyone's chucking around five figure six figure seven figure this yeah. and that and you know spe- especially in dollars where like the Australian dollar is like double the pound so you're working with bigger numbers a lot of the time where but you're also hearing voices from the UK and the US so a, a six figure month in the US is kind of easier to achieve in Australia because the numbers are so much higher. Yeah. So I don't know, that's just a weird thing that I've noticed. I'm like, oh, five figures, but five figures in dollars. And then trying to do the mental easy. math. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just the, I've noticed that the way I see money coming in is so different because I'll be thinking that should be loads of money. Why can I still not, why am I still not making a profit? But you obviously you're paying running costs and you're it's not just the running costs there are sporadic costs and if you want to level up in something or upskill in something or you want to get some new equipment it's all got to come out of that and I've really found that I have to particularly when deciding how much to charge for things and connecting that to your self-worth as well you might be kind of like god I can't charge a thousand dollars for that like I'm just I'm just me am I good enough to charge that but then it's kind of like a thousand dollars in a business context is not the same as, or a thousand dollars in a revenue context, sorry, is not the same as a thousand dollars in a salary context. And sometimes I'll feel really guilty because someone will say like what their, you know, daily rate is at their job, and it'll be like three hundred dollars or something, and I'll be kind of like, oh my god, like I'm a failure because I'm charging six hundred dollars or you know whatever, and that's so much more than that. But you know, you don't get that every day. There's no perks or sick leave or insurance or anything with that. It's it's just I've noticed that the way I look at money and numbers has completely changed. And you need to be so much more comfortable with much bigger numbers because you can bring in a hundred thousand pounds, but you still might only take home thirty thousand pound profit. And, you know, especially if you're at the moment, for me, I'm at this point where I'm investing a lot of money in um, study and equipment and an office and this kind of stuff. So the profit portion is very low. Um, but I've noticed it ties a lot to my self-worth and also like tying into the financial kind of mindset side, coming from a place where I've really screwed up my finances in the past it's reminding me of that because I'm kind of, you know, I I might be using a business credit card and I might be owing money on something or looking at a lot of bills coming up and thinking, oh God, I hope I'm going to earn enough to pay them. And it reminds me of when I was trying to get out of debt. And I feel like I've gone back to that place, but I have to keep reminding myself that it's not the same thing because I'm consciously buying equipment to run my business. I'm not 
you know, mindlessly spending on stuff that I haven't really thought through or that I can't really afford. But the sensation in my mind and in my body is quite similar. And that's mm. been really confronting. Yeah, definitely. No, I completely, I didn't realize how expensive a business was to run. That's been a massive revelation for me. And I think when I sometimes speak to friends who don't have their own businesses and kind of, they're asked, you know, they see, you know, like you said, like courses you're putting out or your day rate or whatever. And they think, oh my God, you must be rolling in it. It's like, it's all gone. <laughs> it all gets sucked up very easily by the running costs. So um, yeah, very much resonate with that. But it's really interesting to hear that you're kind of feeling that, I don't know, scarcity mindset. I'm not sure that's the right word, but it's that feeling of just like uncomfortable when investing in your business. And you can rationally say, you know, I know that it's going towards the right things. I need the equipment and I want to level up in this area, but it can be terrifying and you feel so responsible when it's a business as well. It feels it's bigger and it feels it feels a lot bigger. <laughs> it really does. And it, it really is that scarcity thing. And, you know, I don't you know, I'm not, um, you know, offended by anybody thinking that that's what it is. It, it absolutely is that. And it's this kind of wound from before that I'm really having to work on because it is so linked to self-worth. There's not only the logistical fear, because there is that point in business where maybe you got I, I got to this point the other day where I haven't been for a while um, where I've got no outstanding invoices. And from a cash flow perspective, that's really good because I, it's because I've got clients that are paying me on time and I'm not chasing um, invo- unpaid invoices. And I haven't got any bad debts or anything like that. But looking at my thing and being like incoming zero, there's the logistical fear of like, okay, I need to kind of, you're sort of starting over again very regularly unless you've got a business that is kind of built on recurring income, but that's very difficult to, to get to. Um, you, you find yourself almost feeling like you're starting over again and you have to have so much trust that the work is going to come and so much trust that clients aren't going to run away and leave you. And that, you know, that ties into so much like abandonment and stuff on a personal level as well. Um, and so much self-worth stuff. If you've been in um, financial financial difficulty before, or if you've made financial mistakes in the past, it really is kind of like, oh my God, am I screwing this up? Am I, is this like slipping through my fingers? Am I going to lose this? Um, especially if you're using savings or whatever to fund the business while you grow it and stuff like that, there is this this constant um, kind of ceiling to push through. I think in terms of like personal growth, because you are kind of constantly confronted with whether or not you trust yourself to be able to do it, and whether or not you trust yourself to keep showing up. And and when you know life stuff happens, when you get sick, and all those things that remind you of how hard it is to run a business because there's no sick pay and there's no this and there's no that, um, those things can really kind of compound on you. Um, I personally find it. Uh, I'm noticing that as I'm nearing the end of my first year in business now, that. I have to accept and I'm having to get comfortable with the fact that it's not going to be this upward trajectory. And that's, you know, why I really appreciate podcasts like this, because it's that there is so much narrative that when you leave your job and when you back yourself and when you trust yourself in the universe, the floodgates will open. And it's just it doesn't work that way for everybody. I would hazard a guess it's for most people. It doesn't work that way. But the ones that have the loudest voices and the sexiest story are the ones that we hear the most. And then you think that it's you. And then you think, God, did I did I leave my job too early? Do people think I'm an idiot? Are people judging me? Like, am I going to have to go back and get another job? Am I even employable? Like, this is the spirals that we go through. Um, and then you kind of left thinking, God, is it all worth it? 
but it is I mean as long as it is then then, then it is and it is for me and it's mm-hmm. all those things but it's also amazing at the same time <laughs> definitely and I think I assume that Australia is going through the same thing but here in the UK we are going through a massive cost of living crisis and I think that there is a lot of completely understandable fear kind of as business owners in particular of worrying about um, especially in the next few months for us with um, the energy prices increasing again people are scared that work's not going to come their way and I'm just wondering and I I realize I haven't um, prepped you on this question so apologies but I'm just wondering like what are your thoughts around this because I see that a lot of money mindset work or a lot of kind of these gurus out there it's all about this like positive thinking and and you know I think there's there's some you know there's I think there's that can be useful sometimes but also are we just ignoring the reality so I'm just interested in your kind of opinions on this of kind of staying positive in this time of kind of you know everyone feeling feeling you know really nervous about what's going to happen next um and then also like is there anything like practical that we can be doing to prepare ourselves for these um yeah uncertain times coming up in terms of being a business owner yeah it's is a really interesting point and, and it is the same um here in australia in terms of cost of living uh, interest rates and that kind of thing inflation is not quite as high um mm-hmm. in terms of the absolute figures but uh it kind of it's manifesting in slightly different ways over here like you know, uh fruit and vegetables in the supermarket are extortionate and they're usually mm-hmm. about four times the cost of the uk anyway um and now they are just bonkers so I saw that on of... TikTok <laughs> my new source I saw that like courgettes yeah. and stuff are just like insane and like a lettuce head is like I don't know ten dollars oh, or something yeah. ridiculous it's lettuce for like fourteen dollars or something and oh my yeah God. there's all kinds of things and as you say as a business owner it's it's a double-edged fear because we're worried about our own bills and our own cost of living but also our livelihood depends on for some people depending on who you sell to the incomes of other people as well um it's I, I actually only ju- I, I saw this mentioned in the business kind of community on social media for the first time like yesterday and I was like oh good we're finally going to talk about it um weirdly though I think that there's a complacency because for a lot of people in the pandemic there was an instant fear of for, among the business community of like oh my god like no one's got any money everything the world's gonna end la 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 And in a lot of cases, it wasn't that bad because there was a cohort of people that had a surplus of income because if they were, if you kept your job, you're pretty fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Your expenses probably went down because you were doing less stuff. And there was, um, you know, an outcry to support businesses and that kind of thing. Um, So I think that there is a little bit of complacency in that. And I do think that cost of living may change that a little bit because that is affecting absolutely everybody because of interest rates it's hitting even higher income earners because they're likely to have higher mortgages and that kind of thing so they're you know when you're talking about three percent to six percent in mortgage rate when you've got a million dollar mortgage that's a big jump um so it's hitting absolutely everybody in terms of what we can do i mean i think that it's a lesson though not a lesson that seems really like harsh but i think it's an important reminder that we have to consider the um we have to empathize with our customer a lot um or if you are perhaps a writer or a designer or you know servicing b2b who 
is then B to C. You know, if you're writing for a business that's that's target target audience as a consumer, for example. Um, I think empathy in that situation and understanding their needs and their motivations and their priorities is really important because there is a real risk of coming across as tone deaf at the moment, um, you know, particularly in the coaching industry, for example, like if you're pricing programs at thousands and thousands of pounds, it's like, yeah, there's a cohort that can probably afford it. And it's not saying you shouldn't do it, but maybe I think language and communication um, is quite important at this time um not only you know does that necessarily bolster the impact no because everybody's impact is going to be different and and look if people can't afford something there's there's not really that much we can do about it apart from maybe strategically diversifying your income streams um so i guess from a yeah from a communication perspective i think it's important as a values driven business owner that you empathize with what your audience is going through and you know you know what kind of uh background or income level your audience tends to be from it might be varied it might be you might serve a higher income portion or whatever Um, I think that's really important and I also think as well looking at where your income comes from because you know even though I've kind of been (laughs) moderately negative about my business's financial um, experience at the moment just because there's just a lot going out and it's just not balancing out but I think it will in future one thing that I do feel confident in is that I have several different, not necessarily income streams, but kind of threads to tug at if one collapses. I do some B2B stuff. I do B2C stuff, things at varying income levels, um, sorry, uh, cost levels, price points, I should say. And I think that particularly if you have the ability to do that, whether you have products or services um, and who you sell them to and the, the thing that they, the purpose that they serve, I think is important when the wider economic environment is scary. Mm, Definitely. That's always something I try to speak to because it's a big part of my business model or revenue model or whatever you want to call it is having various different um, price points and different ways of earning. And it's always something I work on with my clients is how can we diversify your product suite? Because also I think people think of it as like, oh, it's a quick win to make a webinar or an ebook. But actually it can be really helpful for those people who can't afford your one-to-one service. You give them a taste or you give them, you know, a quick win, um, you know, for, for them um, can actually be really, really beneficial. And then, like you said, for you, you know, for us as business owners, it's also um, another revenue stream that we can kind of rely on as well. So yeah, diversifying product suites, I think is, is going to be key at the moment. Um, and yeah, that messaging point, I think so important and not coming across tone deaf and selling <laughs> thousands of pounds, um, of course. Uh, we've spoken about it throughout kind of the whole podcast um, about money mindset and our relationship with our finances. But a lot of the advice that's out there on the books are quite I don't know how to say it apart from like woo woo, you know, they're quite like spiritual, which is fine. And it has its place. And like, um, I think they're really interesting and like fun to lean into that side of things. But also sometimes personally, I find it lacking in practical advice or kind of tangible ways that you can really improve your relationship with money. Because like you said, you can have all the tools, but if your mindset's not in the right place, then you're not going to be getting those kind of results that you're looking for. So what advice do you have for people who are interested in thinking about their relationship with money or really feel like they need to improve their mindset around their either you know personal or business or both finances? Yeah, it's interesting you ask about money mindset, actually, because I've been thinking about how this term has kind of evolved 
in recent years and i think that and i try not to use it actually because it does have um not because i dislike it i think that it i think that i identify with it in a, in a different way and i think um it's got quite it seems to have got quite anchored to visualizing wealth and louis vuitton bags and that <laughs> sort of like really um kind of as you said the the woo woo side the real vision board type of wealth and i i think that um like you said that has a place and it's really fun and it can be really quite um you know even if it doesn't end up in those even if it's not directly getting you to those outcomes it can be quite good from an energetic perspective to just kind of like open your possibility to those kind of things um but i think personally i think that the real change comes and that the building blocks to get to that point come from unpacking your financial beliefs and your financial behaviors your everyday financial behaviors like you know wealth creation is great but we can't get to that until we have established really positive and really healthy financial behaviors and all that starts with our financial beliefs um and i think thinking about it rather than money mindset i think thinking about it in terms of financial beliefs makes it really unique to you really unique to your own experience um you know culturally socioeconomically um gender as well comes into it a lot your own upbringing the way you experience money when you were a child the way that money has played a role in your life the financial experiences that you've had I think thinking about you know if you if someone said look back over your life and you might think you know you might have a series of memories trying to link money to all those different kinds of things even in ways that money might have nothing to do with it you know people might go what's your happiest memory as a child you might go oh I was out with my mum and dad and my brother at the zoo or something like that seeing if you can link money to any of that you know what what were those experiences of going out and doing activities as family what was the financial connotation of that maybe there was nothing but maybe there was actually some maybe that was a really positive thing or maybe it was you did that when you know your dad came home from a work trip or I I don't know I'm I'm trying to use people's experiences that aren't mine (laughs) so that I don't just um, tunnel vision on my own experience but little things they can be positive and they can be negative and there's some exercises you can do and one's called the money egg exercise and you draw an egg on a piece of paper and as quickly as you can like set a timer for like 10 minutes you come up with as many money memories in your life from adulthood or from childhood it's good to get a mix of both but some people I I also have a, a bit of a uh, blank with a lot of childhood memories I've got a lot of gaps but I try and get it's good to try and get some in there Um, note down as many money memories as you can and whether you jot it down or you do a little symbol of what it represents and then sort of um, section that off so you get like a patchwork in the egg working all the way up to the top until you filled it of different experiences and then going through and picking out commonalities because when you've done it in sort of quite a almost unconscious way, because you've done it very quickly, you're not sort of thinking, oh, I need a positive one now. Oh, I need a negative one now. What you're doing in that um, environment is bouncing from one to the other. So everything you come up with, because you're trying to do it as quickly as you can and in a constrained period of time, each one is going to kind of lead you to a next one. And the, the, the order that you come up with them in will probably tell you something. And I did this one uh, recently and I came up with, I, I uncovered that there's a big kind of shame thread in my own kind of financial experience. Um, and there's, you know, a bunch of stuff behind that. And you can do it several times and come up with different things. And maybe sometimes you do all negative and all positive and see what comes out of that. Um, but that's just kind of one way of starting to look at how money has been an undercurrent in other things that feel unrelated. And that can form all these deeper beliefs about money that then may point to kind of more surface level beliefs and I think particularly 
as women in their late 20s and 30s, there's a real, um, there's a, a lot of links to things like diet culture and beauty standards. There's a real kind of channel that flows with the evolution of fast fashion and the availability of more and more and more and fashion magazines and all of that stuff. I think there's a lot of surface level beliefs about ourselves, our body image, our self-worth, our self-identity um, that ties to money in that way too. And it's different for everybody depending on what their experience is. But for me, I've got these deeper beliefs that came from much longer ago, came from my parents, came from those older experiences. And then further up, I've got these higher level beliefs that are a bit more fresh and they kind of inform a bit more of my day-to-day behaviors. And then these deeper beliefs are a bit more about my broader, you know, a lot of this scarcity stuff around business because that's very big picture, very related to my life as a whole rather than an individual purchase decision. But all of this stuff kind of adds up to your core financial beliefs and they inform your financial behaviors. And I think that dealing with money mindset, when you can look at making those more positive, um, you can then focus on building positive financial habits, living in alignment with your values, understanding how to use money as a resource to live a life that you want. You know, outside of this wild Louis Vuitton bag wealth, just, you know, using money as a resource to do what you want to do and enjoy life in a way that you can on whatever income that is, whether it's 10 grand from your side hustle or whether it's a big empire that you're building um Mm -hmm. because there's probably commonalities in that too in in what you want money for probably links to what your financial beliefs are as well because again it's there's a lot of stuff about wanting six and seven figures and as you said at the beginning do we actually want that so there's benefit in learning your financial beliefs to work out what you actually want because otherwise you might be striving for all the wrong stuff because if we're told that seven figures is the goal but you're actually like pretty low key and, and you'd like to just sort of you know go and live on a farm and um, grow your own tomatoes or whatever. <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. really need seven figures, do you? Yeah. So it can really help with business alignment as well, I think. Definitely. Yeah, we, I think so often people, and I definitely include myself in this in the past, are striving for other people's idea of success because maybe we're not aligned with our own values yet or financial beliefs um and we're not really not really sure where we are and who we are maybe in business yet so we're kind of looking to everyone else um and rather than kind of staying in our own lane or thinking about what we truly want so yeah I really like that point Mm. um well thank you that is all the questions I have for you today this has been such an amazing conversation and I think it's gonna get a lot of people thinking about their own financial beliefs and how they can kind of examine them and make their business kind of reflect the the you know the person they are the values that they have and the financial beliefs that they want to be bringing in so I really appreciate your time Emma thank you so much thanks so much for having me it's been a great conversation I sort of went off on a few tangents so I hope I hope I didn't lose anyone that's nice no those are the best sort of podcasts can you tell everyone where they can find you of course, you can find me. My main uh, channel is Instagram because I am over 30. So you can find <laughs> me at the dot broke generation on Instagram. I'm the same on TikTok, but I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go there if I were you. Um, I also have the Broke Generation podcast and coming soon, the Broke Generation business podcast and my website, thebrokegeneration.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Emma. Speak soon.